Hi, this is Mark Wallstrom, the host of Speaking of Justice, and uh, we're doing a video uh, podcast today with a uh, great guest. Uh, we have uh, attorney uh, Ben Heineman Jr., uh, who's really kind of a legendary and uh, transformative figure in the area of uh, corporate law. Uh, you know, we'll kind of get into his bio, but what we're going to really talk about is uh, a book that he's got coming out. Uh, it's called The Inside Counsel Revolution, uh, Resolving the Partner-Guardian uh, Tension. Uh, we were lucky enough to have an advanced copy. I believe it uh, is going to be uh, released uh, the first or second week of April. And uh, uh, he's uh, joining us uh, today uh, to uh, talk about the book. Welcome to Speaking Justice. Mark, it's great to be here. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll jump right into this. Uh, first of all, just kind of uh, give us a little bit about your background and why you decided to write the book. Well, I've had a long career in business, law, and government. I started out as a public interest lawyer representing the rights of the mentally handicapped and ended up in terms of my active career as general counsel of GE, which was quite a, a spectrum, yeah. uh, although I think yeah. being a public interest lawyer uh, made me a better general counsel. But then I retired from GE. I, I spent 20 years at GE under Jack Welch and Jeff Immel from 1987 uh, to, nine, to 2005, 18 years, actually. Mm -hmm. And then I've, the last 10 years, I have been writing, teaching, and speaking on a variety of legal, policy, ethical, and business issues in the context of globalization, uh, both uh, at uh, Harvard Law School and Business School and at Yale uh, Law School and Business School. So my last 10 years has been primarily uh, writing and thinking about this range of issues, uh, which led me to write this book. Outstanding. Well, uh, the, the book, uh, The Inside Council Revolution, uh, we're going to kind of jump right into it because uh, I will tell uh, our, our listeners and viewers, uh, I was uh, surprised when I read the book. And, and, you know, I probably shouldn't be surprised given the background uh, of the author, but uh, it is a really engaging read and it gets into some of the most relevant uh, issues and legal issues that are uh, facing people and facing corporations and attorneys all over the United States. Uh, and, you know, you, I mean, you really jump into a whole bunch of issues. But number one, uh, I want to kind of talk about uh, the partner guardian tension. It's in your subtitle. And you talk about uh, the examples of Enron and WorldCom, you know, GE Ignition, uh, you know, the phone hack. GM, 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 GM Ignition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, GM. Thank you. Yeah, not GE. <laughs> uh, but you know, we, we talk about this idea of you know uh, the, the the tension between the, uh, uh, the the general counsel and the board and the CEO. And the question everyone always has in those is, where were the lawyers? Why don't we kind of explain that? Because I really think it's a core central thesis of what you're. Uh, Absolutely. Let, let me just take a second and step back. The, the, really, the crux of the book is that the mission of the corporation today, especially a uh, global corporation, is to fuse high performance with high integrity and sound risk management. That is the mission of the corporation. And integrity is, has three elements. Um, adherence to the formal rules, law or financial rules, law, uh, adoption of voluntary ethical standards that apply all across the globe, ethics, and then the values of the employees, honesty, trustworthy, fairness, uh, reliability. So integrity is law, ethics, and values, and it must be fused uh, with high performance. Um, and on top of that, of course, in this day and age, there has to be sound risk management. 
You yeah. need that framework. And the problem that uh, lawyers have in companies is that they can be too subservient to the CEOs and to the business leaders and not independent. They need to be partners uh, of the business leaders and of the board to have credibility, to be at meetings, to be involved in all the activities of the corporation. But at the end of the day, their ultimate responsibility is not to be the partner of the CEO or the board, but to be the guardian of the corporation and yeah. to see that the corporation follows this fundamental mission of high performance with high integrity and sound risk management. Now, there are lots of obstacles to lawyers performing that function, uh, anti-lawyer sentiment, uh, lawyers being uh, sort of uh, worried about their compensation, lawyers being fearful of the CEO who can be very tough and beat them up, uh, lawyers having a propensity to salute when the uh, CEO or other business leaders tells them to do something that's improper. Um, and on top of that, in every corporation, uh, there are pressures for corruption uh, to make the numbers, get promoted, get uh, compensated. Um, and we shouldn't be too... Um, dewy-eyed about capitalism. It's a wonderful system. It produces all sorts of economic benefits. But at the core of capitalism, there are these pressures for corruption. And so the general counsel has to be, again, the partner to be at all the meetings, to be integrated into the activities of the company, but fundamentally must be the guardian uh, to protect the company and ensure that it has high performance with high integrity and sound risk management. When it does that, the corporation achieves the fundamental goal, uh, I think, of corporations, which is to have the trust, not only of the shareholders, but of the employees, the customers, the suppliers, the partners, the creditors, uh, the public, the regulators, and that that uh, trust is really the essential uh, dimension of sustainability and durability of a great corporation. I mean that's a great summary, and, and again, I mean, I, I, I had, you know, I, I don't mean this in a negative way, but I was really presently surprised as I read through the book because it was really engaging. I mean, this is not a, uh, I mean, it's it's not a dry academic recitation of how to be a general counsel. It really does get into uh, so many of those real world applications, as you said. You know, I mean, as you know, you were pointing out. Uh, people tend to have a very idealistic view of, of capitalism and, uh, you know, it, it is the best uh, economic system. But every every organization comes with its pressures for corruption, for uh, cutting corners, for mistakes, you know. And uh, it really is the job of the general counsel, as you point out in this book, to uh, to be a strong guardian for the corporation and be able to deal with those pressures realistically. But uh, Mark, let me stop you. For, let sure. me stop you for just one second. I do have a chapter on culture, mm -hmm. um, which is how people think, feel, and behave, and is critical to all these things and has to be inculcated from the CEO on down. Uh, but there are uh, examples uh, uh, illustrating my point about the uh, pressures for corruption at the core of capitalism. I just want to make this note for people who might read the book. And I give a number of examples. I mean, Enron, Siemens, J.P. Morgan, mm -hmm. uh, News of the World. Um, these are I, there are uh, five or six case studies which show what happens when the culture fails, uh, and when the lawyers fail to be guardians, and the harm that is done to the corporations. Now, these are well-known uh, um, uh, scandals or problems, yeah. uh, but I think they are very short thumbnails which are, really illustrate. Uh, this importance in the culture of having a, a culture of high performance and high integrity and the pressures, the yeah. pressures that yeah. exist to basically blow through that 
and have a much more corrupt and uh, improper culture. Uh, yeah. I did, sorry to inter yeah. inter interrupt, but, but I want to emphasize the importance in this book of examples, that there are a lot of case studies um, and, and, uh, and real-world situations which I hope illustrate the kinds of things that I'm talking about. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, I mean, and, and that's what I'm saying. Is that this, is, this is where it is a very engaging, practical book for lawyers and non-lawyers, I think, and it's a very interesting read. Now, one of the things you point out, which I, I kind of jumped in on and, and, and caught my eye, was you talk about the CEO as the chief compliance officer, which I think is an interesting uh, concept and gets in again to this philosophical uh, view of, you know, whose responsibility is it to be the chief compliance officer? Kind of explain that uh, tension. You kind of talked uh, around a little bit, but uh, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, I, there's there's a debate between whether the uh, chief compliance officer ought to report to the general counsel and the chief financial officer ought to report directly to the CEO. I, I have a view on that, but I don't think that's what's really important. Mm -hmm. What's really important are two things. Number one, the top leadership of the company, the CEO and the top business leaders, have to deeply believe in high performance with high integrity. Yeah. Integrity yeah. means compliance, among other things. They have to say to all the business leaders, this is one of your key responsibilities. You can miss on the numbers because the markets are variable, things happen. You miss on integrity and you're fired. Yeah. And uh, there are some examples in there of people who were fired for missing on integrity. So the, the, the CEO absolutely has to not just talk about this, but has to resource it, hire great people, truly believe it, and then show through resources, hiring, firing, um, that this is a top, top priority of the company. Yeah. Be beneath the CEO, there will then be um, a lot of different people, whether it's the compliance officer, the general counsel, the CFO, the head of environmental programs, uh, the risk person, all of whom will have a role in adherence to the financial and legal mandatory rules. And my general view is that function uh, is much more important than form. Each of these compliance issues will depend on the culture of the company, on the location where it is, the problem is, uh, on the different skills of the people. Um, and so I think it's much more important to have the function be appropriate uh, to the problem then worry too much about form. Yeah. I happen to believe as a general matter that because the general counsel is responsible uh, for determining in the corporation what is law, uh, the compliance function should be all about how to operationalize uh, compliance, the process and organization. That's a huge role, but I don't think the uh, compliance people should duplicate the lawyers in this fundamental question of determining what the law is. And let me just stop there for one second, too. Yeah. In a global world, GE, the company I worked for, was in 140 countries. The law is constantly changing. It's ambiguous. It's at different levels. It's in different forms. So determining what the law is that the company is going to comply with is a profoundly difficult problem. And that's why I think it's where compliance starts, at least on the legal side as opposed to the financial side, and it's why uh, the general counsel, in my judgment, sort of has to be the key person short of the CEO uh, about compliance because the general counsel and the legal function are determining what the law is. On the other hand, the chief compliance officer is critical uh, mm -hmm. and is really a partner and is really responsible for operationalizing these ideas with the business leaders. So everybody's got a vital role, and I think the debate is, uh, uh, to some extent, is a waste of time and effort 
because when you get into real companies, it really is about function, not about form. Yeah. And, and you, you bring up an interesting point, kind of where I want to lead us next, which is uh, this idea. I mean, you worked at GE, uh, you know, 140 companies, uh, a, a, a massive global organization uh, from the 80s into the 2000s. And you're, you're obviously still very actively engaged in a lot of these issues and the uh, development and, and of, of how to uh, manage these organizations from a legal standpoint. What do you see happening going forward? You know, the, the, the global legal organization, I guess, of the future, uh, they've got a lot of challenges, new challenges. You know, the, the issue of global supply chain, uh, you know, workers' rights, labor, uh, political issues. You know, we have this whole, you know, uh, corporate inversion uh, issue going on. You know, the, what's going on with Apple? Do you provide uh, access to a product, uh, you know, under pressure to a government, whether it's the U.S. government or another government? Uh, why don't we kind of talk a little bit about what do you see happening in the world right now? What are some of the, some of the challenges uh, facing organizations and specifically the general counsel of these uh, companies going forward? Yeah, sure. Let me let me step back and answer that question by saying what I mean by the revolution, mm -hmm. by the inside counsel revolution and why I think it's going to happen. Uh, it has two dimensions. One is inside the company and inside the company, the CEO now looks to the general counsel as its primary counselor. It's no longer the senior partner in the firm. Yeah. Um, the general counsel is now a member of senior management. There's a dramatic change in the skill, the quality, the experience, and the compensation of the general counsel and inside lawyers. And in fact, the general counsel is comparable importance to the CFO. And the reason for that is that uh, not only is there greater commercial complexity and inside lawyers can act more promptly with all deliberate speed, but these external issues, whether it's regulation, enforcement, legislation, NGO criticism, media criticism, ethical issues, legal issues, citizenship issues, risk issues, these now have become as important to the CEO and the board as the financial issues. It's a critical part of the company, these business and society issues, which is why uh, the general counsel has become uh, a partner, an essential part of management, equal to the uh, CFO, and that's measured by the fact that uh, the general counsels are now compensated in the proxy statement. You can read it in a way that's comparable to the CFO. So one part of the revolution is this tremendous change inside of companies driven by increasing commercial complexity and the need for all deliberate speed and driven, secondly, by business and society issues. The second part of the revolution is basically relates to the economics of the corporation, which is there has been a transfer of power from the outside law firms to the inside legal departments. Uh, the inside legal departments have control over matters because the quality of the lawyers now is equivalent to the law firms, and they also have control over money because corporations are desperately seeking all around the world uh, to do more with less, the standard definition of productivity. Yeah. And the problem with law firms is that they have not gotten the message very well they are always trying to add lawyers to matters. They are trying to do less with more. And so there is this really fundamental tension about the fundamental meaning of productivity. And that's going to be very important to leaders of corporations as they try to keep costs down in a global competitive environment. So you put those two changes together, the, in, the increasing importance inside and the increasing importance with outside relationships. You have the revolution. And I think those trends this is not nice theory. This is not goo-goo stuff. In my mm -hmm. judgment, 
The reason this has happened is hard necessity. And hard necessity has happened in the United States. It's happened in Europe so that some European companies are following uh, this revolutionary model in terms of the role of the uh, general counsel and the inside legal department. Some companies, even in Asia, are doing this too because there are serious global companies uh, headquartered in countries in Asia, uh, private companies. And, of course, there are also state capitalism uh, companies, and they will be different. Uh, but this is a trend, in my judgment, that will happen increasingly over the next 15 to 20 years, this revolution and the growth of importance of the inside general counsel and the inside legal department. Uh, for the reasons that I've said, uh, these are societal trends which are not going to change. Mm -hmm. This need to manage the money on the outside and then all the business and society issues which affect the corporation uh, and make it terribly important for the board and the CEO to have strong, independent uh, leaders uh, in, as the head of the legal function and inside the legal department. Uh, ben, I'll tell you, I wish we had more time, uh, but uh, I'm going to encourage people. Again, we've got a copy of the book here. It's uh, The Inside Council Revolution, Resolving the Partner-Guardian Tension. Uh, the author is uh, Ben W. Heineman, uh, Jr. Uh, ben, uh, we're going to have uh, links to this, uh, both to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, the ABA website. Uh, we really encourage people to uh, check this book out. I think they're going to be really pleasantly surprised. It is a great read. Uh, you know, I got through a whole bunch of it uh, over the last few days, and it's one of those things, once you really start reading it, you can't put it down if you're a legal junkie, uh, if you're uh, in uh, education, if you're in journalism, if you're in the law. Uh, I, I really think this is a must-read. It, it, it is a very uh, thoughtful, thought-provoking, and forward-looking book. And uh, Ben, I uh, just congratulate you on the book, and uh, love to have you back on as a guest again in the future. Mark, my pleasure. All right, thank you. Hey, you've been watching Speaking of Justice. Uh, tune back in. We'll have some more guests next week. And uh, thanks for watching.